Hi, this is Michael Lowe, and you're listening to... May I ask you a question? My next guest is Aaron Gray, pastor for Preaching and Vision at Sound City Bible Church in Linwood, Washington, which also happens to be where my family and I attend. Aaron has a real thirst for knowledge, high energy, and a perspective on life in the church that I wanted to peer into. Our conversation is broken up into three parts that I'll release over the next couple weeks. Part one is about Aaron's upbringing around church, becoming a pastor, and joining Mars Hill Church in the greater Seattle area in, the, in its last few years. Thanks for listening. Aaron Gray, thanks for coming to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I When I pitched uh, my, my request to you, I said, I like to interview people who uh, have influenced me um, and encouraged me with their perspective and as a uh, or my preaching pastor, if you weren't that, then it would be a, a greater issue. So, Is this an intervention? Is this where you, <laughs> this where you start to say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about your sermons here. Well, I was worried that you might flip it on me and it might start becoming a confession. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Michael, tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in my house. Here's my closet. Exactly. Um, if we could start out, just uh, can you give me a little, uh, little bit of a history on you, how you came to faith, what yeah. church was like for you growing up, yeah. and uh, you know, eventually how you became a pastor? Sure. Yeah, my faith story is, it feels pretty intertwined with my parents' faith story. Uh, my parents were not Christians, were not raised in Christian homes, were pretty like wild living in their teen and early 20 years, and the midwife who delivered me was a Christian. Oh. And she invited my parents to church, and I think that she had pity on me. I think she thought, this poor kid doesn't stand a chance with, <laughs> with these parents. And so she kept inviting them to church, and for three years, they would go uh, hungover on, from Saturday night of partying. They would go to church at the... Like every week they would, <clears throat> they would go. Pretty regularly, yeah. Uh, uh, hearing my parents tell the story, they would go for three years. So going to church for three years as non-Christians, and then one day God just flipped the light switch. Why did they keep going? Did they like... I think my dad would just say it was just the drawing of the Holy Spirit. I think that he knew... You know, my, my parents knew that there was something real there. There was something yeah. true in what was being said. They always felt like outsiders, though. They were... You know, my parents are... Like my dad's an engineer by trade. Yeah. My mom's a music teacher, but they played in you know bar bands, and okay. they just they did not look the part. They didn't yeah. wear neckties. They didn't know how to read King James Bible. You know, were they so hippies. They, uh, they were a little bit too young to be hippies, okay. and my dad's a little bit too intense to be a hippie. He was into <laughs> he was more into like the Black Sabbath, Deep okay. Purple, you know that kind of stuff, and, okay. and less into you know Grateful Dead or whatever. So yeah, but yeah, so they went to church for those three years. God got a hold of them. So when I was about I think it was three years old. They got saved. Wow. And so my earliest memories are just being raised in the church, being raised by now Christian parents who were just trying to figure out for themselves the first time of how to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, I have memories of like sitting on the couch with my dad reading the kids like picture Bible, like the comic book style Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, you know, come to find out later, like that was my dad's first time reading through the Bible too. Wow. So it was, it's pretty interesting to look back on that. I would say... Uh, for myself, at a very young age, five years old or so, yeah. I made a, a a very childlike profession of faith. I understood the basics. I knew that I was on my own, prone to sin. I knew that I needed a savior. I believed that it was Jesus, and he died and rose again. And so I made that profession. Uh, I was baptized at seven years old. Okay. And now being in pastoral ministry, sometimes I'll talk with people. <clears throat> you know, people get baptized as a kid or even as a teenager and like, I just did it because other kids were doing it. And yeah, sometimes yeah. people want to be re-baptized because now their faith is actually meaningful to them. Yeah. And I look back on that and I, I've tested it over the years. I'm like, I, I, I knew what I was doing at seven years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when I was about 14 or 15 years old, it was, uh, I went to a back to school kind of youth camp, youth retreat sort of thing. And during that time, I had a very profound sense of the Lord speaking to my heart. Something to the effect of, Aaron, I don't want you to follow me because your mom and dad do. I want you to follow me because it's you and me. Mm -hmm. And so in my teenage years... Were you conscious of that distinction? Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Was that talked about or were you just, like, you just observed it over time? It was just something I felt kind of in that moment. Okay. Uh, I, you know, somewhere around like 11 or 12 years old, I'm in middle school. Like my parents had talked to me and... Like probably like every kid, just get a little bit bored with church at some point, especially yeah. when your dad ends up becoming a pastor. I'm like, I don't <laughs> yeah, need to yeah. listen to him. I already listened to him all week long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, 
you know, it's like well, I you want should to... see what he does during the week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I could. My dad's a good guy. Yeah. He always he always walks the he always walked the walk, but it was just you know I think just kind of typical middle school boredom if nothing yeah. else. Yeah. So I'm like I don't really want to go to church. My parents are like look we're not going to force you to go to church. We yeah. want you to. We want you to have a relationship with God for yourself, mm-hmm. not just because we did. Yeah. So I think there was that freedom that was kind of built in there. Yeah. And so somewhere around that, like 14, 15 years old, there was this moment where I just really distinctly sensed the Lord calling me to follow him for myself. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, so I can look back. I'm like, when did you get saved? Like, I think I made a genuine profession of faith. I think my faith was really real as a little kid. Yeah. But like other things in life, there's this kind of ongoing maturing. Yep, and testing. Uh, Yeah. So somewhere around that same time is where I met my wife. Uh, We we met when we were 14 years old also. (laughs) And uh, we have a pretty unusual story on that. First of all, her name is also Erin. Yep. So we have the same name. Different spelling. Different spelling. I'm biblical. She's Irish (laughs) in the spelling. (laughs) Which which are the only two options, right? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or for the, the... since the Key and Peel sketch a few years ago, A.A. Ron. A.A. Ron, yeah. Uh, so we met then. We basically were dating for all four years of high school. We got married. A long time. We got married, yeah, and we got married right after high school. I mean, we both were 18 years old when we got married. <laughs> <clears throat> and so last year we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, working on 21 right now. It's so crazy. It is crazy. I don't recommend it. Were you on sabbatical it. when you celebrated it? No, uh, our anniversary is in May. Our anniversary is okay. in May, so it was before, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got we had we were able to get away. We went to Florida. We went to our our the network, our church network oh, yeah. has a retreat. Okay, and uh, it almost always seems to line up right around our anniversary time. So it's very convenient. We yeah. go to this retreat for the church network, and then we stay for a few extra days and have some yeah, time. Yeah, just ourselves. the two of you guys. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, we we met. We got married right after high school, and um, my dad, like I said, my dad's an engineer. Yeah. But he pastored churches um, just as a volunteer. I think the first time he became a pastor was when I was around eight years old. Okay. The church that we were a part of went through a church split, and he was kind of one of the last people standing. And mm. some people, the the way I interpreted it as a little kid was they kind of looked around the room and said, "Well, who wants to be the pastor?" And they yeah. pointed at my dad, Brian. You want to do it? And, okay. So um, <laughs> he he pastored. How that. was he was? So he was a believer for five years at that point. Uh, let's see. He would have been a believer. Yeah. Five. Well, I guess that was when I was nine, so maybe six years old. Okay. Or six, uh, six years as a believer yeah. at that point. Wow. Yeah. No seminary. He went to engineering school. Uh, <laughs> similar. Similar. Yeah. yeah. But my dad always had this passion for reaching people that were kind of like him, that just didn't feel like they fit in the quote-unquote normal church. Yeah. I mean, especially back in the 80s, right? Like there was yep. a lot more of the kind of cultural expectations to dress a certain way, look yep. a certain way. So when I was... Kind of a censorship type of a, a vibe. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, just like the some of the religious sort of trappings. Like, oh, you have to wear a necktie yep. or you have to do this, that, or the other thing. And my dad just, you know, God got a hold of him in a very unlikely sort of way. But he always wanted to go reach those people that he spent all his time with. The barroom musicians, the yep. people that were down and out. And yep. so, yeah, he, was, he became a pastor. Um, my mom and dad always did outreach to kind of people on the margins so yeah. prison ministry okay. i had people detoxing from heroin in our house that um, wasn't hard for them to evaluate either like they were just drawn to that they just those, yeah those it was just like kind of an instant just calling from the lord yeah. and and they it's a gifting too it's like people who just kind of show up and without even they feel comfortable yeah opening up to them and whatnot yeah and just trusting them like they were going to not be met with a judgmental presence yeah. and that they would be loved but they would also be were these friends of theirs like from their pre, uh, pre-christian life some were yeah okay. there's some like some of the earliest earliest memories yeah there was some people that they used to party with back in the day who <clears throat> they ended up getting to lead to the lord and get yeah. cleaned up off of drugs and stuff but wow. even when we moved we moved from uh, i grew up in alaska i should have mentioned but we moved from fairbanks alaska to anchorage okay so it's like they didn't have the same friends or whatever the oh. same thing just kind of kept happening so yeah. just people would show up so when i was maybe 14 or 15 years old I, I say my dad and mom accidentally planted a church because they wanted to start a youth outreach. So at this point in the in the city of Anchorage, um, people who aren't familiar with Alaska sometimes don't believe me on this, but there was a really vibrant kind of underground like punk and goth scene in the city of Anchorage. There was a youth. Is that why you got into music so much? Well, it's part of it. My, my like mom's a music guru. Yeah, my mom's a music teacher, yeah, yeah. and my dad and mom both play music. He's a drummer, and so I was at. 
14, 15 years old, I was in a band and we started playing at this all ages music scene, this music club. We started meeting kids and my parents were doing like worship services at the weekend at the youth you know, prison. And yeah. so it was just, this was kind of the lifestyle we lived. We just always had foster kids and people in the <laughs> so they, they they became Christians, but they never kind of left the scene entirely. No, they're yeah. always, always involved in the lives of like broken and messy people. What's weird is that as you're talking about that, this, this will tell maybe more about my upbringing is that like, how do you find these people? That was my first thought. Yeah. It's like, I grew up in a more sheltered suburban life yep. and it was just, you know, Christian school from grade four mm-hmm. through 12 and then even private school and college. Yep. And it was just, it was a little bit more, for lack of a better word, insulated. Yeah, I think that I have experienced that just in my own personal life, mm-hmm. living in specifically here in the part of the Seattle area that we live yep. in Edmonds, which yep. is a very nice yep. suburban sort of area, very comfortable. Yep. <clears throat> um, I, I sometimes lovingly but jokingly refer to it as Laodicea, where it's, you know, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Yeah. A lot yep. of Teslas, a lot of two car garages, yep. a lot of 401k, a lot of vacation home stuff, and people are like, ah. Oh, I'm good. Things we complain about are all the kids' activities that we have. Oh, I'm so busy because yeah. I've got too many soccer games yeah. this weekend or whatever versus... Yeah, and so my, my parents, like, I, I went to Christian school for a good number of years and there was some of that, but it just... It, all I can say is for them, it was a gifting. Mm-hmm. It was a spiritual gift and yeah. the people just drawn to that. Yeah. But there was also intentionality of doing services at the youth jail or you know, my dad taking me as a <clears throat> high schooler with my band to go play in these all ages music clubs and yeah. meet people. And so uh, we had a foster daughter living with us. She was a teenager. She's a little bit older, 17 or 18 at the time. I think she was 18 because she'd aged out of the youth detention. Okay. She needed a place to go. Huh. But she'd been institutionalized for most of her life, and the wow. system does not serve people well yep. in After that. a certain age. Yeah, or just really throughout her, her whole life. Yeah, yeah. just. She's been institutionalized in and out of foster homes, in and out of juvie, and it's like, well, you're 18, now go live a life. And yeah. it's like, man. Um, that's, just, that's just, it's treating people on paper, right? Yep. Like, it's not treating people as human beings. Missing out the humanity. So my parents yeah. just brought her home to stay with us for a while. Huh. So I think she was the first one that introduced me to Rage Against the Machine. So that was okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> your influences. Well, I mean, yeah. and as you talk about it, too, I, I remember your dad came uh, when he was in town, mm-hmm. I don't know, last year, maybe. Yep. I was talking to him, and he said, you know, there were scary moments, too. There right? were some, like, yeah. And, and, but he just, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to me to see the testimonies of people, especially in ministry or not, but just people who are ministering to, to others yep. without the same, if I can call it, suburban fear, mm-hmm. right? Totally. And it's encouraging. It, it, it's inspiring. Yeah. Well, and I can get to this a little bit more maybe later when it comes to my own calling to pastoral ministry, but um, there's some things like I really admire my mom. I really admire my dad. I love them dearly. I still you know, text with them almost every day, talk to them on the phone every week or two. And, yeah. Um, but part of it for me, my calling into ministry, I have different gifts than my parents do. Mm. And I actually have a different calling than my parents do. And so <clears throat> kind of going way back, you know, so my dad, an engineer, ran his own engineering company, and then just served the church as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. He has been in ministry, I mean, gosh, over three decades, has never taken a dime from a church, never mm-hmm. was on staff, never. And in fact, when he was pastoring the church plant while running his engineering company, he was Probably the biggest tither. So, yeah. he's partner in, in, like, partner. Yeah, part right? owner. Yep. yep. So, uh, we started this church, and he, this this girl that was living with us, had this idea. Like, I'd love to invite my friends. And we're like, well, we could do like a potluck dinner, and me and my buddies could play some music. And dad Are could. Are you the only child? Uh, no, 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 I've got a younger sister and okay. a younger brother. I'm okay. an oldest child, okay. which is. Similar but different in some ways. So. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've been an only child, whereas your siblings haven't. <laughs> yeah, and they're both uh, like four and five years younger than me. Okay, so, I had a good, so it's good distance. Between. Yeah, but uh, so we in, we ended up kind of making a flyer. This teenager that was living with us, she made a flyer. The flyer said, we don't smoke pot, we don't believe in luck, but we're having a potluck. <laughs> and we're thinking, I don't know, we're thinking 10. Sounds like a teenage thing to It write. was, yeah. Uh, 10 to 20 kids would maybe show up. And uh, like 150 no teenagers, and we're talking like the whole like punk rockers, goths, uh, like more than one vampire who had actually surgically altered their teeth into like pointy oh, that's teeth. Fantastic. Yeah, this is like you know a wild crowd that yeah. is is all of a sudden in the lobby of this church that we were borrowing. I think there were 
other than my parents, there were four other like adults <laughs> and everyone's just eyes were as big as dinner plates. Like what in the heck did we just get ourselves what into? What was her intent when she wanted to do the potluck? Just to get to know some of the kids. Just to, and so it turned into, just to like get to just know like people. Just a community event? Yeah, thing. kind of. Just an outreach event. I don't know. It's, it was the 90s. You just tried things, you know? Just <laughs> I guess. Try and see what, and, and it was my parents too. Like we want to find these people yeah. that are maybe outside of the norm, outside of the mainstream. Yeah. And, uh, so we ended up doing that for 10 years. So my my kind of initial experience in pastoral ministry really cut my teeth in those years. So I was leading music regularly just as a teenager mm-hmm. and then um, started doing a little bit of teaching. I mean, it was like it was a young adult church. It was all, you know, high school and college age kids. Yeah. Um, about five or six years in, my dad hit a pretty uh, steep like burnout. Yeah. And he came to us, some of us guys in leadership, and was like, hey, can, can you guys keep this thing going? I need a break. So that's when I started preaching regularly. Oh. So uh, probably 20 years old, I was preaching. What did that mean to you at the time? What did it mean to me? Uh, what, what he asked me? Like, or uh, To preach. Or just like, to preach? Um, well, you've heard me preach now for a few years. Yeah. And uh, Was it significantly different? Uh, I would say... Just less mature? I would say I had all the energy times about 10. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I you're actually, all over the stage. Yeah, way more energetic. <laughs> and uh, I actually found a folder a few years ago of all of those old sermon notes. I saved them all. Handwritten chicken scratch notes on a, like a yellow legal pad. And I was looking, I'm like, well, they're biblical. Like I was in the text. Yeah. I was in the Bible. Yeah. I would say it was a lot of raw, raw, let's live passionate lives for Jesus. Hmm. And it was missing what I've now come to understand, like the gospel motivations for it. Mm. In, instead of just trying to whip people into a frenzy and say, we can do it. It's yeah, more of like, look, yeah. look what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. Look how God has loved us. Look what Christ has done for yeah. us. Now we can follow him and yeah. be empowered by the spirit to live that kind of life. So like yours was well intended, but maybe didn't have like, Oh yeah. A, just, a non-Christian could have said a lot of, <clears throat> most, a lot of similar things. Uh, let's see. I don't Based know. on a different book. Maybe, yeah, it would just be, it was high on inspiration and just because my natural personality type, I have a ton of energy and I've got a lot of that kind of raw, raw, Yeah. but it was missing at times the real fuel for the gospel. Mm-hmm. Here, here's, here's maybe a way to think of it. So because we were around so many people whose lives were just very obviously broken, mm-hmm. very obviously, you know, in need of a savior, oh. it would also be a lot of just very kind of come to Jesus sorts of messages yeah, or yeah. let's live for Jesus. Yeah. And as we as a church community kind of matured, started to realize, oh, I think we need something more than just that, right? Gotcha. People started getting a little older, started yeah. getting married, having kids. Yeah. And um, so... Meanwhile, I'd gone to school for music. I have a degree in classical guitar. Okay. And I was teaching private classical lessons and uh, providing for the family that way and mm-hmm. doing music on the side. I would, or I would, not providing as your wife. It's, you, you mentioned that one. Oh, yeah. She, <laughs> she a guitar and a yeah, when I was in, Yeah, when I was in music school, she's like, oh, I heard a joke. I said, what? She goes, what's the difference between a musician and a large pizza? <laughs> a large pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> I was so put off. I was like, what the heck? I'm gonna go play my guitar. Yeah, by exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'd play weddings. I do. I did work in a recording studio for a little while, and just did a variety of different things. Yeah. And, but then served the church just as a volunteer. Yeah. Even as a volunteer overseer and, and pastor. Similar to your dad. Similar to my dad, because again, I thought, well, I'm just gonna do what my dad did. Yeah. And so, um, when I was about 26 years old, we we'd kind of hit this point of stasis. We're kind of looking and just seeking the Lord for what was next. And there was a church in the area that we had a relationship with. They actually helped us get our start with this church plant. Mm-hmm. And um, they, we were, we started, we were meeting in their building and then they eventually said, Hey, what if you guys like, what if we merged together? And as a part of this merger, my dad became an elder and I was hired on staff as the worship pastor. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time in my life that I was like, Oh, I could actually like earn a living this way. I could earn a living this way. I could, I could have, and the way I thought of it is like, I could just have more time Devoted to reading the Bible, uh, you know, meeting with people, developing leaders, just doing all the stuff I love to do. Yeah. Even the teaching, like music teaching, I could meet with the musicians of the church and help them grow in their skills. And I can, you know, I, I spent time pouring into like youth group kids who are now, I've got, there's some youth group kids who are like leading worship at other churches now. And it's, yeah. it's really awesome. Did you so, not know that that was an option? It really just seemed like a foreign universe to me. Like, oh, sure. I'm sure it maybe exists, but just not in my... Yep. Uh, proximity yeah it was just one of those things where like 
probably, I don't know how many people do this, but I'm, I'm a pretty loyal person. And again, like I said, I love my parents and, yeah. and, and it just was what was normal. It's yeah. what just seemed normal. You work your job and then you serve the church just yeah. for free years as a volunteer. Um, and some, yeah, I, I knew some people who were paid pastoral ministry or whatever, but I actually think this is a side note that depending on how Western civilization goes over the next however many decades or centuries, <laughs> the church would be really wise to do a lot more looking at bivocational type of ministry models hmm. because um, a, a, a young a young man in our church recently did a mission trip uh, to a Muslim majority country and where Christianity is not technically illegal but pretty highly suppressed yeah, culturally yeah yeah and so he was talking about how they did this tour through all these villages and they met with all these pastors and encouraged them and i said how many of those pastors like earn a salary from their churches he's right. like well none of them yeah. yeah and you know in the west where we've had christendom mm-hmm. we've had the church and state while distinct there is a lot of overlap in our culture value we don't know that that's yeah. going to be that way forever i don't want to be gloom and doom or, or whatever but it'd probably be wise for a lot more pastors to think, how could I provide for my family and not be dependent upon the goodwill contributions? Well, I mean, yeah, it was going to be a topic for later on, but I mean, it it does feel as if we are feeling the effects of a shift that that have uh, kind of um, come together. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, whether, uh, you know, we even experienced it a little bit before the pandemic, but the pandemic seems to... uh, Really accelerated. It's accelerated a lot. Yeah. So, anyways, just to kind of put a bow on that, I became a <clears throat> became a pastor officially on staff at a church as a okay. as a music pastor at twenty six. Okay. I still kept preaching on occasion at that church. They would have okay. me preach once a month, once yep. every other month or so. And um, over the course of the next five years or so, four or five year four years, I I began to discern um, a that I didn't think I was a really good fit at that church. Mm-hmm. There were some theological differences and yep. some philosophy of ministry differences and b i was kind of discerning that i i wanted to maybe plant a church or 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 be a lead pastor in a church and i said to my wife at that time i said well i just i don't want to do it the way my dad did it yeah uh because he just kind of accidentally planted a church and i'm like (laughs) i should probably go get a little bit of training i should go get some schooling oh i see so we prayed about it and we moved to seattle for what we thought was going to be one year Erin Lynn is from, my wife is from Washington originally. We were in Seattle all the time visiting her mom. But she ended up in Alaska. She did, yeah. Her folks, her folks split up. Her folks split up when she was like eight years old. Okay. And then somewhere in middle school, she went to go live with her dad for a year. She would have left Alaska and come back to Washington here, but she met me and she she stayed. So I I lucked out on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you were worth the, the, uh, the the The, long, long nights. Yeah. She'll, she'll say, I stayed there 15 years just for you. But, uh, so, (laughs) and you say, I love you too. I love you too. Yeah. But yeah, we, we, uh, we moved to Seattle, uh, a little over 10 years ago. Okay. I was going to do a, a, ministry training program with Mars Hill Church. So it was the big church here in the day. And yeah. knew they had a lot of church planting training and all that. So I thought, well, so we'll stay. 2011 2011, yep. Okay. Summer of 2011. And moved here and, again, had one of those experiences where I just very distinctly sensed the Lord telling me to roll up my sleeves, get to work, and just do whatever my elders told me to do, and that he would show me what the next step was. Yeah. I essentially felt like God said, I told you to go to Seattle and you assumed to go back to Alaska and plant a church part. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's what I did. I just I kind of went to my leaders and said, Hey, I'm I'm here. I'm not I'm not actually sensing that I'm gonna go back to Alaska anytime soon. What can I do to help? Yeah. So we ended up going to Tacoma for okay. two years and helped plant that campus. Okay. Uh, how many campuses there? were there when you uh, came? Probably somewhere around ten or eleven. Okay. And then over the three years that I was a part of Mars Hill, it expanded to 15. Yeah. Okay. And so I was down in Tacoma for a couple of years, was a worship pastor there, helped get established in a long-term permanent home there, and then received a call from the executive leadership team to come up to Shoreline up north of Seattle and mm-hmm. take over as a campus pastor of that campus. Okay. And uh, right as the mushroom cloud of controversy yeah. hit, uh, right as all of the book sales stuff and the financial, you know, miscommunications and mishandlings were all happening. And yep. so I was a brand new lead pastor, my first time <laughs> in this chair. 
and I was so in over my head. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the one thing I can say is God is faithful. Mm-hmm. And having walked through some of that uh, was a experience I would I would never want to go through again. But I'm really grateful for a lot of what I got out of it. But I, I could yeah. just I can kind of land the plane with this of just being a pastor. One of the things that I've come to realize over the last few years of for ministry is okay. So that first divergent point with my dad of well, he never took a paycheck. Now I'm taking a paycheck. Mm-hmm. That was a divergent point. Like oh. I, are you uncomfortable with it at first? Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. But um, pretty quickly found my found myself like, no, I really was, I, I really do think like I was kind of built for it. Yeah. Um, church, vocational ministry, paid church ministry is a weird thing. Yeah. It's like, when am I on the clock? When am I not on the clock? Right. When am I being this person's pastor? When am I just being their friend? Right. When it, it, the lines blur together. Yeah. And so it's... And if you're not clear, oh, like over-communicating yep. about that and... Yeah, I try to... I, building I, your own boundaries, intentional... Yeah. Even over the last year, I've tried in conversations with people to say things like, okay, I'm putting on my pastor hat now. Yeah. Or, oh, I'm taking off my pastor hat. I'm just your friend, brother in Christ, that yeah. kind of thing. The other thing, though, is you mentioned kind of being in the comfortable suburbs where we both live here and coming to a realization that um, the kinds of marginalized, broken people that my parents just seem to attract and draw, they're still doing stuff in Anchorage. Those kinds of people just find their way. It's, it's just, it's a spiritual gift. It's a, it's a personality trait and a spiritual gift that the Lord uses. I actually was able to come to a more, kind of firm conclusion of my own sense of calling that's different from that. Yeah. Because I used to experience some guilt or some mm. some like shame over why am I not able to, you know, like what you were saying earlier about like, I don't even know where to find those people. Yeah. And yeah. Aaron Lynn Marco. and I, yeah, we, we actually spent some time in this area trying to figure mm. out what was going on there. But I actually felt like I got a more clear sense of personal calling and that one of my, my gifts is to go into a sleepy, kind of quiet, kind of comfortable place like the North Seattle suburbs mm-hmm. and be a little bit of a spark plug that says, hey, you realize there's more to life yeah. than just your vacation house or right. just your 401k or yeah. what's new to Netflix. Or Channeling whatever. a little bit of that rah, rah, rah to yes. like, hey, wake up from your comfortable life yes. and live for Jesus. Wake up, oh sleeper, rise yeah. from the dead. It's, it's that kind of a thing. So that's a lot more of where I sense my own calling in pastoral ministry now um not in competition with or not in reaction against like what my dad did or anything but just realizing oh yeah it's just different parts of the body different different gifts different gospel is not unapplicable here no no and there are people you know if we if we believe what the bible teaches about you know hell and eternal separation from god there are people who are strung out on drugs who will spend eternity separated from god mm-hmm. and there are really comfortable suburbanites who have a really nice you know uh, uh, you know whatever lexus and they're also going to spend eternity separated from god right. and different people need to hear the gospel in contextualized relevant ways yeah. to to be reached with that message. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a maybe longer than you were anticipating well, no, I mean, rambling uh, version of it. but It's helpful um, because I did wonder, like, you know, you have tattoos and mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't sure. I, I pierced my own ears when I was like 14 oh, years really? old. Yeah, the I wasn't sure if I should call them earrings or just ear accoutrement. <laughs> or, uh, but I, There's that French guy. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, but there was, I, I, I was sensing, I was like, wow, he's, he doesn't look the the part of a normal suburban pastor. Yeah. And so I just wondered if there was a cultural dissonance for you mm. um, at all in, in any of that. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Um, or maybe at first. Maybe at first. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. Being in Seattle. Okay. So being in Anchorage, doing the kind of ministry that we did, doing the kind of work that we did. I mean, everybody. I used to have an eyebrow ring and a lip ring, too. Okay. Those have closed up since. Uh, well, yeah. So I the eyebrow ring got ripped out in a mosh pit one time. So I lost <laughs> that. Uh, you know, got my first tattoo at 18 years old right as soon as I was legally able to. I mean, just it was just kind of culturally. Do your parents care? No, not yeah. at all. I mean, my dad might have said, you're not going to get something dumb, are you? I was like, no. He said, okay. <laughs> do, I, do I have to ask you if it's dumb? No, it's a, I got like a Bible verse here on my... Yeah. Uh, I, the only thing is it was the early 2000s. So like, you know, I've got all these like tribal tattoos that go on my shoulders. I'm like... Uh, <laughs> 
kind of dated now. I wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was really good in the moment. It was great in yeah, 2001. Yeah. It was but... so smart. <laughs> so we, uh, when when I moved to Seattle, being in the city of Seattle, very artistic, yep. you know, community, that's fine. Going down to Tacoma, Tacoma's pretty grungy and pretty, yeah. you know, but then moving, again, moving to the North Seattle suburbs, yeah. it was a different crowd. For sure. So Mark Driscoll actually told me, he's like, when I was coming up to be lead pastor, like, you have to take out your lip ring and your earrings for this job. Because he just he just knew it wouldn't fly. Yeah, knew it wouldn't fly. It's a different, just a different crowd. Different. Uh, Did you have a problem with that? Uh, I thought it was silly, but I'm like, well, I'll do it. It's, yeah, bristled you, know, you a little bit. I was still kind of operating in that. Whatever you say. Whatever you say. Just whatever, whatever's needed. Um, because your goal was to come and learn mm-hmm. and be able to plant a church eventually. Yeah, and I thought, you know, the other part about for me too is I'm pretty. I'm pretty independent. I'm pretty self-directed. Yep. And I feel like the whole act of leaving Alaska where I could kind of just do whatever I want and coming to Seattle and especially joining a larger organization, a larger church like that, yeah. there was a spiritual discipline for me of learning how to just oh, submit. You know, yeah, just submit yeah. and follow the lead of someone else and yeah. not not be the guy with the reins. So. Yeah. What, uh, so what appealed to you about Mars Hill? I mean, you said that you wanted to come and it was it was kind of a growing... Yep. Um, I was going to call it an empire, but it was an empire. <laughs> yeah, it was a religious empire, uh, and and so, but obviously, it it had all the attraction that uh, something growing that fast would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was it for you specifically? Yeah, when I was uh, when I was very first on staff as a worship pastor back in Alaska, that was also the first time that I was able to start taking classes and reading theological. Books and stuff. You know, our church, the church plant my dad did, it was so evangelistic. It was always just, you're a sinner, you need a savior, come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the discipleship factor and things like deeper theology um, were there, but it was always less emphasized just because of the type of ministry we were doing. So now I'm a pastor at a church and I start reading. Because the population wasn't, uh, like, they weren't thirsting for that that level of... Yeah, and I think we, we, looking back, it's like, I think we could have done a better job of some of the discipleship growing. But again, it was just, it was a, it was an intentionally outreach focused church. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that's good. There's some churches where a lot of people get saved and after a few years they move on and go to a different church to kind of grow as longer term disciples. I actually don't have a problem with that. I think that's also part of the one body, many parts of the body of Christ. But what I would say is I, I, I've started studying. I started, you know, coming to some certain theological conclusions. Uh, I started, you know, having some opinions about, you know, even just things like an elder-led church as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, other forms of church governance. I started having some, uh, coming to some different conclusions. And I don't remember exactly how I heard about Mars Hill, probably through the podcast, like a lot of people. It was yeah. such an online presence. Yeah, such an online presence. And so I started listening. And again, being in Seattle so regularly, visiting my mother-in-law, oh, sure. started being able to drop in. So you had been vis- you had visited? <clears throat> I visited a few times. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the, uh, gosh, the, the church I was a part of at one time was considering going to become multi-site okay so we actually came to seattle we did a tour of the city church uh now church home and mars hill just to see how they did multi-site and see if we could learn from them yeah so i had some experience and got to know them and um (laughs) the senior pastor who i worked for his wife said i thought we were going to leave aaron there at mars hill he just seemed like he was such a good fit for it so was there a cultural uh affinity for you oh totally yeah Yeah, just loud rock and roll you know for the music and a lot of people kind of in my same sort of interests and you know music yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff like so, there's the, the creatives felt accepted and yeah even the outcasts yeah at least in its origins and, and totally know, as, as it went on totally yeah so i just felt there was some theology there there was some leadership stuff there and i honestly Almost a little irreverence too right like, i guess so uh, yeah against the maybe an older culture yep not necessarily against god himself but the way that that an older culture manifests yep. their worship yep that would that felt very relevant i remember gosh what year was it 2012 or 2013 mm-hmm. mars hill produced a little miniature documentary and they put out this this kind of story of the early days of mars hill and they were sure sharing these stories about just wild times of you know all these punks like meeting jesus and all these musicians and all these people who are strung out and all this stuff and i remember turning to my wife and be like hey that's what we were doing in the late 90s too yeah with my dad's church plant it was a very similar sort of a thing just on a much larger scale and with a lot more 
you know, a bigger sound system and fancier cameras and lights and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I really just intended to come for one year. I intended to get some training and go start a new church. And yeah, that that sense of the Lord saying, "No, I'm gonna. I want you to plant it here and and just kind of see what's next," which led all the way through the fall of Mars Hill and the collapse of Mars Hill, which yep. is there's just there's only been a handful of times in my life where I've really had that kind of distinct sense of the Lord's voice like, yeah. speaking to me. And one of them was right towards the end of Mars Hill of, do I go back to Alaska? I had some job offers for some other churches. Yeah. And I just really distinctly felt the Lord speaking to me to stay mm-hmm. and to help guide the people. To care for them. Yeah, to either care for them and start something new or help people find other churches where they could heal and, and yeah. grow. And So that's what I that's what I felt the Lord calling me to do. So uh, you came in 2011. Mm-hmm. Think looking to plant a church. Yep. Or look at looking to, I guess, get uh, built up to a point where you you felt ready, whatever, in quote unquote yeah. ready. Uh, at what point did you, like, because then all the at some point all the turmoil began yeah. to happen, and so at what point was church planting like less of a less on your radar? Yeah, I think that. Uh, oh, I think that. I I began to get a little bit more open handed with the timing of it. Okay. So the first year, I'm like, I'm ready to go. I want to go back to Anchorage. I'm ready to go plant a church. Then I had that experience maybe about eight months in where I felt the Lord really speak to me. And so my mentality shifted from I've got to get back to Anchorage. I've got to go plant a church to, okay, I can be patient with this. Maybe it'll be a little bit longer than I thought. Mm-hmm. So then I got asked to because go. Because you didn't feel ready or you just felt like there, were, like there was more to learn? Probably a little bit of that running in the background, but I really think the main North Star was just what I what I felt like the Lord spoke to me of just just listen and let them tell you what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So it was more of that really than oh I'm not ready to. Yeah. Looking back on it now, yeah, I was not ready to. And, <laughs> uh, but also, I kind of chalk it up to now. So I jokingly say that my dad accidentally planted a church because a bunch of vampires and goths showed up one night. <laughs> Yeah. I can also say that I accidentally planted a church because right. I happened to be, you know, right kind of right holding time. the holding yeah. the steering wheel as Mars Hill collapsed and we relaunched this campus as a new church. So, yeah. yeah. So, in different ways, my dad and I have both accidentally planted a church. <laughs> um, without getting into like all the the details that you know it has been chronicled. Yes. Uh, how, how do you look back on your experience? Um, like, what do you take with you? I, I guess part one of the things I. Uh, was thinking is, as you lead now, do you find yourself choosing between outrunning your association with Mars Hill mm. or trying to figure out how to embrace and incorporate your experiences? Yeah, that's a really good question. And honestly, that's a question that seven years later I'm still processing. Yeah. Um, I feel like <clears throat> the time of sabbatical that I just had this last fall. Which is your first one. First time I've ever had a sabbatical. Yeah. First time I haven't been like actively involved in something in the church since I was eight years old. Yeah. Um, yeah, vacation here and there. Well, with your energy level too, just slowing down that oh, which yeah. has probably been yep. foreign in and of itself. Yep, that was a huge stretching for me. Yeah, it's a really good question. Okay, I look back on my time with Mars Hill on the whole overall as a very net positive experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, I received some really good training. I, I met some lifelong friends. I There was a time, especially when we were doing the Tacoma campus plant, um, Tacoma felt a lot like the Anchorage, like the people from Anchorage. Just, just there was a kinship there, just to real like roll up your sleeves and just get it done. Moving into the building, yep. getting to disciple people, getting to see lives changed, marriages transformed. Like it was just those two years in particular. I look back on with just absolute. Fondness. Those were your first two years. Those were yeah. I had one year at the Ballard campus. Oh, okay. And that was just internship, and then I was a, a pastoral assistant to one of the kind of senior leaders. Okay. But yeah, the two years of boots on the ground as a pastor, leading worship, leading certain ministries in Tacoma, those were real joyful times. Yeah. And the people I got to, to meet, um, the friends I got to body? meet. How big was that body? When we when, when we first showed up, there was, so it was in Federal Way, mm-hmm. which is like a, not a particularly, it's kind of a, a suburb outside of Tacoma. Okay. There's probably four or 500 people on a Sunday. Okay. Okay. And then we, we started adding some services. We ended up moving into the building in Tacoma. And I think that for a brief window, again, it was a brief window because then Marcel blew up after that. Yeah. We had over a thousand people on Sundays. Wow. So it was, it, it grew substantially. Yeah. Um, 
and it wasn't even just about the numerical growth. It's like just I can sit here and think, and I won't mention names for obvious reasons, but yeah. just people who's like, man, their marriages were, you know, there was adultery, and then there was repentance and reconciliation, yeah. or there was um, just deep, like, abuse and was able to step in and help get, you know, some ladies out of these situations, or there was just all sorts of sin and blindness and all sorts of things. Just, min- like, just gospel work, gospel yeah. ministry yeah. just was such a joy. Then I took over as the campus pastor of Mars Hill Shoreline, which was a much older and longer established campus. Mm. Shoreline had been around, I think Shoreline was the very first of the video campuses that they ever did. Yeah. And what I didn't realize is that with all of that longevity came a lot more of the history and the baggage associated with Mars Hill. Okay. So um, I can use one example. So there was a little bit wearing, like they were kind of familiar with the culture. And... Yeah, well, there was just things I didn't know were like sore spots and pain points. So I can give one example. I think I shared this on the other, the other podcast. Mine's <clears throat> um, not quite as popular, but that's, that's okay too. <laughs> that thing blew up. <laughs> Quick side note: so Mike Cosper, the guy who made it, yeah, we were in Louisville, Kentucky together at an event for our Harbor Church Network, and we were hanging out in the backyard and just talking after this event. And he was like, Aaron, I have an idea for a podcast. Do you think anybody would talk to me? I was like, well, I'm, I'll talk to you, I guess. But And this time he wasn't even working for Christianity Today. He was just going to do it independently. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when he finally called me up and said he was going to start doing it, I was like, all right, man, let's see where this goes. But <laughs> Yeah, so just back to the idea of the Shoreline Campus. When I um, so wait, That was a few years ago he, he talked to you about that? Yeah, about three. I want to say it was 2018. Okay. It was fall of 2018. He okay. first kind of pitched it. with all the work he's done, I couldn't imagine it, yeah. the compiling all it of It might have been 19. It might have actually been 2019, actually, okay. now that I say that. So a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. But um, I did not know that Mark Driscoll had used this phrase about, you know, bodies under the bus or a pile yeah. of bodies. I, did, I just didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. And we had a leadership gathering kind of early on, like maybe May of that year, May of 2014. And there were a lot of leaders there who were really upset about the decisions executive leaders had made and all of this stuff. And I, at some point, used the phrase, just a common colloquialism, I used the phrase about throwing people under the bus. And the reaction in that room felt like just short of like pitchforks and torches were going to come out. Yeah, like how dare you? Yeah, and I was like, I had, I, and so it was like later I learned like, oh, I didn't realize that that was like a really, that's a sore spot. That's a deep wounding for a lot of people. Yeah. And I just stepped right on that landmine like a moron. Yeah. Um, Because my experience had been pretty good at Mars Hill, it actually took me a while to come to see the patterns of sin and unhealth and things that had been running. I'm also just, I'm a pretty naturally optimistic person. Mm -hmm. I like to believe the best about people. I don't like to believe, you know, things that I read on the internet that I don't, you know, verify or or whatever. But not, not that you didn't notice maybe some of the things that other people didn't, but you didn't, you know, look with the same critical eye. Yeah. Did not have the critical linger there. Yep. Didn't have the critical eye. Didn't have the, I'm like, I've, I've, I haven't experienced what you've experienced. Did your wife? Notice any of it? Um, <laughs> my wife, uh, Aaron Lynn, when I very first discovered the preaching of Mark Driscoll, she said, oh, I don't like him. He's super arrogant and full of himself. So I should have probably listened. I probably should have listened to her. Uh, you wouldn't be here now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the, listening to my wife is continuing, just a continued growth area for me. And she, 20 years in, you yeah, can still learn. I can still grow in that. But yeah, we, it just, it felt like... Um, it felt like, well, I've had this pretty good experience. No church is perfect, of course. I'm yeah. sure there's some issues or whatever. Yeah. The people who are posting things up on the internet seem really angry and uh, like ungodly in a lot of ways. And right. So I don't know. I'm just going to kind of keep trucking along. Yeah. But it's like, you ever remember going to the mall back in like the 80s and 90s and they would have those like 3D poster sort of things? Yeah. And you'd like stare at them and you'd stare at them. It's like, I can't see it. It's supposed to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I can't see it. I can't see it. And then all of a sudden, then you can see it. Then you can't unsee it. That's kind of what it was like for me with the issues with Mars Hill. So over the course of that summer, um, I got asked to serve on the investigation team. The Board of Elders. Yeah, the Board of Elders to, to the charges from the former elders and staff against Mark and so I started doing interviews with people, uh, several hundred hours worth of conversations and meetings over the course of a two and a half month span. Yeah. 
and that was the that was the 3D poster moment. Like, oh, shoot, there well, it is. Because it's staring you in the face. Then. Yeah, you you can't you can't yeah. overlook it because they're sitting right in front of you, right? Yeah, and it's no longer kind of disembodied people out there on the internet writing yeah. things. Yeah. People I don't know. It's it's Not people I actually do. People know who could and, be in you know South Carolina. Yeah, exactly. Carolina, yeah. No, it was it was like that. So that was my experience with it. And um, so your question all the way back was like trying to outrun that experience. Like, are you trying to outrun your association and just say, you know, I'm not him or I'm like, even though I was, you know, associated with him as a pastor under the same umbrella, I'm not him. I'm going to do things differently. Or are you looking at it saying like, hey, here's what I learned. Here's what I gained. Yeah. And here's, uh, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it, especially after the podcast, it sounds hard to say, to easily say, you know, let's, let's remember the good things that happened. Yep. But good things did happen. I have yes. close friends now. Who tell me, yeah, hey, our lives were changed there. Yep, 100%. I think that, um, so when we launched the church, now Sound City Bible Church, you know, we were we were regularly saying things like, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not overcorrect and pull the steering wheel into the other ditch. Um, there is no way around the fact, you know, you can't get, well, I did, okay, I went with a pastor buddy of mine one time. We went to a pastor's conference in Florida, mm -hmm. and it was a very different tribe. This was not the, like, Acts 29, reformed yeah, Marcellus. Yeah. It was a very different, much more charismatic, almost even, like, seeker church sort of tribe. Okay. And my pastor buddy said to me, he goes, hey, when people ask you about your church and ask you about ministry, I want you to try for this whole night. We're going to have, like, a dinner and dessert, things like <laughs> Don't say Mars Hill. See yeah. if you can make it for a whole night without saying Mars Hill. Yeah. Oh, Okay. And I did. I was like, that was really good. That yeah. was a really good thing. The problem is, is it, I think. It's kind of career defining too. Right? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me and my time of sabbatical this last fall was helpful in this was um, recognizing how much of the don't be like Mark Driscoll was running in the background. Mm. So certain decisions that I would want to make or certain things that would need to be addressed or things that should have been done, there's this little voice in the back of my head. Well, but that's too similar to something Mark Driscoll would do or something. And so it's just... It's just a natural sensitivity though too, right? Because if you have a population of people who were yep. under him anyways, yep. it might just trigger them in a way that you don't really intend. Yeah. So it's part of it's a sensitivity to your yeah. congregation. And I try to be very, uh, I'm a very, uh, what's the word, um, like an intuitive sort of person. I can yeah. kind of read yeah. the people and I can read the room. But I also had to come to grips with this last year of how much of that was actually unhealthy for me because mm -hmm. it's leading out of reaction yeah. instead of values. Yeah. I'm, I'm being, it's reactivity instead of proactivity. It's yeah. not principles and vision and values that I'm living by. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's like, it's, it, it's kind of like looking over your shoulder like, well, I'm not going to do what my dad did or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get a little while down the road and you start to have some kids and you start to have a few, you know, hospital visits and some life experiences like, okay, Maybe my dad did some things really wrong that I don't ever want to do, but not everything yeah. was was wrong, or not everything. Right. You know, that actually was a good thing. So well, I'm yeah. still very much in process with that, sure. but just kind of recognizing. I think it's a good question. Like, there's been a lot of that kind of running in the background for me, more than I realized for seven years. Well, for I mean, and it, it is easier. It is easier for a time to define yourself by what you're not. Yep. Because then you don't have to vulnerably be. Who you think you want to be or yep. who you think you actually are but then over time you realize oh this is actually not who i am yep. it's just not who that other person or that other thing was but it's also not me and so it's like well then who am i yep. <laughs> right yep yeah and, and being able to more clearly define my sense of self my sense of calling and like who it is the lord called me to be the pastor that i'm called to be mm -hmm. so for me to say like i've got a pretty clear sense like no i'm i'm at least in this season of my life the Lord has me in a sleepy suburban context yeah. so that I can meet, meet people and help kind of, by God's grace, shake them awake. Yeah. Um, another one is like I, I really genuinely uh, am passionate and I think gifted in helping get people connected to each other and to their, their mission and their purpose in life. Yeah. Um, we had an experience just the other night at the uh, the the Sunday afternoon extra church town hall thing. Yep, yep. There's a new couple to the church, but I actually knew them 
from my time down at Marisol Tacoma. Okay. And so I'm like, the, me and Aaron Lynn are the only people in the whole church that they know. They've just been coming for a few weeks. Yeah. And I saw them. And when the meeting was done, they struck up conversation with a member of our church named Katie. And I'm like, I, I don't, I was kind of feeling this need. Like, I want to go over and talk to them, make sure that they feel welcomed. I'm like, oh, they've got Katie. They're talking to her. And yeah. then uh, another guy from the church walked up, like, here, you come. And I started talking to him and I made an introduction to them. And then I'm able to walk away like, these people are connecting. Yeah. I don't have to be the one that they're, you know, connected around. I just want to see people establishing meaningful relationships and yeah. getting to know each other. Yeah. You Man, don't have I, to be the center of it. I don't I really genuinely don't. Yeah. And I put my head on my pillow and I'm like, I'm happy that they're getting to know each other and they're getting connected with each other. Right. So anyways, there's just things like that of knowing who I am, knowing and I think some of this is just like all of us, just age, maturity, yeah, experiences in life. For sure. Um, it's just a little bit weird when you've gone through such a high-profile ministry yeah. thing to try to do some of that untangling work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, because your your narrative, your personal narrative goes on without it, but it's inevitably intertwined with yep. a lot of it. Yeah, it'll so. always be a part of my story. Yeah. Um, like yeah. it or not. Like it or not. Yeah. Um, it, during your time there, or even afterwards, uh, aside from what your, your wife already said, but did your <laughs> wife or, or your daughters, I mean, your daughters were probably pretty young when it all happened, but yeah. did they have any insights or comments that were like, oh, huh, that's, uh, it, the, that, that caused you to think differently about your experience uh, at Marcel? Yeah, my daughters, maybe not so much because, yeah, they were pretty young. Yeah. I think my oldest, when everything blew up, was nine years old. Okay. So, you know... Just that, you know, whatever, third grade understanding of what's yeah. kind of going on. Yeah. Uh, my wife, though, for sure, a lot of good insight on that. Um, one of the things that was interesting that, again, we just didn't, we didn't realize it was a thing. Um, one of the, you, if, if you've listened to that podcast, The Rise and Fall of Marcelo, you've heard people who just talk about how their whole entire life yeah. was so intertwined with the church. And... When, like, there were times where we had met with Mark and the way that he spoke to us, we, we, we chuckled as we got out of the meeting, we walked out in the hallway and got in the elevators like, okay, dad. Like, it was that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we didn't realize and what Aaron Lynn helped me see is like, oh, there's a lot of people that actually took that. We just thought he was just being, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, you do this, move here and take this thing. You have to, you have to do this, you have to do that. Yeah. And we just kind of walked away, oh, okay, dad. Like yeah. that kind of, yeah, yeah. And we're gonna we're grown ups. We'll do what we want. Yeah. I didn't realize how many people there were that because of his persona or because of the time spent in the church or some of the past stuff. I didn't. I just didn't know that really felt like it was. If he said it, it was the voice of God that was mm. trying to tell them to say that. So that was an insight. Like you guys thought more independently. Other people yeah. were almost spiritually dependent upon him. Hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. So she's been a big voice in my life and in our church in general of really helping to shift it to, to, to make sure that people know that it's dependence upon Jesus, mm. not dependence upon the church or the pastor or any other human being in that ultimate sense. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. In part two, Aaron and I talk about the now famed podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. We talk about his participation in it, our reflections and its relevance. See you next week.